Hello and welcome to the Business of Possibility podcast with Ulster University Business School. I'm Wendy Austin and in this series we're diving deep into the world of business here in Northern Ireland, looking at how they're staying afloat in the current climate. And we're finding that even during a pandemic, or perhaps particularly so, businesses here continue to innovate and show their real entrepreneurial spirit. This episode, Innovate to Survive, focuses on skills and expertise, adapting them to answer current needs, also to remain viable, to provide creative solutions to problems, and looks at how businesses are building resilience through innovation. Glad to say we're joined on the podcast by Dr. Crystal Miller, Senior Lecturer at Ulster University Business School. Hi, Crystal. Hi, lovely to be here. Good to have you along. Uh, also, Karen Doherty, who's General Manager of Hutamaki Food Service UK. Hello, Karen. Hi, Wendy. How are you doing? Good, thanks very much. Uh, and last but not least, Gareth Irvine, who's founder of Copeland Gin Distillery, to which I suspect many of us have been turning in recent weeks. Hello, Gareth. Hey, Wendy. How's it going? Not so bad here. Thanks very much. Now, together, our panel are going to be sharing real-life experiences of pivoting business models and repurposing operations in an effort simply to survive at the moment. There are a couple of really great stories to be told, too. So let's just first get a wee bit of background, um, how you came to be where you are today, basically. Uh, Gareth uh, and Kieran, I know that both of you uh, have been students at Ulster University. Kieran, tell us a bit about that. Um, yes, hi. I'm originally a, a Queen's graduate, uh, did a degree in economics at Queen's, and then was very fortunate to win a place um, at Ulster University to do a full-time MBA. Oh, that was back too many years ago now, Wendy. It was back in, I think, about 1997 or so. I did the full-time MBA with Jordanstown. Um, up until that point, I wasn't really quite sure what I wanted to do. But the MBA was really great. It gave me a really good insight into all the different aspects of business. Um, it gave me enough to know that I definitely wanted to do something in business at that point. Not really quite sure what. Um, what I did after that was I joined um, Allied Bakeries to be a, a, a graduate management trainee program, which is something I would recommend for anybody wanting to get into business because it really gave me a good insight into all the different aspects of business, sales, marketing, accounts, but I really found my home in operations. So, so I spent eight odd years in Allied Bakeries making King's Mill, um, starting off in Belfast, moving across into the, uh, into the UK and to looking at group continuous improvement projects. Started a family over there, um, came back home to Northern Ireland to be close to my mum and dad and Karen's mum and dad for babysitting and, and joined Moy Park. Uh, very soon after that became um, the general manager of the home site in, in Moy Park, Craig Avon. Um, after I, I spent some years with Moy Park before becoming operations director for Irwin's Bakery, another uh, local household name here in Northern Ireland. And then after Irwin's, I spent five really, really enjoyable years. Um, very proud position of being general manager of operations for bus services and train services in TransLink, looking after all of the buses and trains in the public transport system here in Northern Ireland. Um, so yeah, that was uh, five really proud years before joining um, Hutamaki, who I'm with now. Hutamaki, um, a Finnish business with 34, uh, operating out of 34 countries, 81 different manufacturing units across the, the, the globe. Uh, and, and my role here is that I am responsible for all of the UK um, 
business, um, six sites across the UK. Um, and here we'll I am. hear more about, about Hudamaki and what you've been doing recently um, as we go along. Um, Gareth, tell us a bit about you now and about uh, how you got to be where you are now. Yeah, of course. Um, thanks for having us on. I um, I went to, I joined the Ulster University Business School in 2012 after a gap year out, um, not knowing if I was actually going to go to uni. Um, but yeah, in 2012, then I, I joined the uh, University of Ulster in Coleraine to do business management degree. Um, for the first two years, we um, learned all the ins and outs of business, as you can imagine. Uh, and then uh, went on a gap year where I ended up selling IT software for two years. Um, software that people probably didn't really need, but I was an all right salesperson, so <laughs> it wasn't too hard. Um, within that final year of coming back to uni, um, I decided to keep on the job, but go part-time into the final degree. Um, now that then spread across two years. Um, within that though, the business manage- management degree, the, the last part of it was a entrepreneurship module uh, where you, you had to come up with an idea. Uh, the further you got the idea, the more points you effectively got. Um, and that's kind of when the idea started. Um, you know, I, I've been within the drinks industry for a, a number of years, from working in a bar um, locally to, to, to bars during uni and things like that. And I've always been interested in the more the, the, the back office side of them and how they ran and how they made money and how they worked. Um, and I suppose the whole Sparts idea came up after te- looking at the market and testing what I thought was a viable product in local bars around Bangor um, with IKEA flip top plastic bottles, things like that, um, making product in my mom's kitchen in Bangor um, and then testing the idea. And back then, you know, we did a, we did a, took about nine months to get a business plan together. This was back in 2016. Um, by about 2017 in the summer, we, we decided to do a crowdfunding campaign um, where over seven weeks we raised about 30 grand to get their initial capital going and that's when it all kicked off then in november 2017 is when we launched um we're now across five markets um globally um and we're in a new six and a half thousand square foot distillery which i'll go into later on but no it's been a it's been a long well it feels like it's been a long um but we're only we're only coming up to three years old in business here um but yeah, that's all started in uni from the university programs, including Santander University, um, to the small university business school um, events and things like that. It's all, all spanned from there, and we definitely keep in contact with everyone as well. Well, those, those are good stories. And uh, Crystal, from your point of view, that must be music to your ears to hear uh, the degree to which Ulster University's business school has actually fed into both Karen and Gareth's experience. Yeah, completely. Um, particularly because I teach innovation and entrepreneurship. I didn't, I didn't teach any of these ins, um, unfortunately. But yeah, it's, it's really wonderful to hear that those types of modules, you know, really lead to you know business ideas and people becoming very successful in different industries. Well, now, over the last few months, everything has been just completely different for most people. I think. Um, tell us, Karen, a bit about your experience over that period of time. Uh, and how you've had to change. Yeah, this has been a tumultuous period for us, for sure, Wendy. I mean, I, I introduced myself there as having been working for Hutamaki, but you won't recognize that brand. Most people won't recognize that man, brand, but you'll recognize the businesses who we make packaging for. So, so we, we make 
pretty much all of the packaging for McDonald's. You went to any McDonald's restaurant anywhere in the UK or, or, or indeed all of Europe, um, you, you will eat your product from, from a Hudamaki package. Um, Kellogg cereal boxes, Costa coffee cups, Starbucks coffee cups. Um, you know, the list is endless of the big blue chip companies, mostly in all in food and drink who we're making packaging for. Whenever the pandemic really kicked in, all of those, virtually all of those customers that I've just mentioned, either completely shut down or massively scaled back their operations. So it, it was an incredibly difficult few weeks for us, to, you know, the, towards middle to end of March. And at, and at one time, I have about 1,500 workers here in the UK. Um, and I, we had to, as a team, furlough off the vast majority of those guys um, just, just to sort of try to keep ourselves afloat. So it was an incredibly difficult period um, for us at, up to that point. But then there was a bit of uh, a light bulb moment, wasn't there? And, I, and it's a very Northern Ireland story, given that it turns out that the young guy that, that you kind of partnered with, you both went to the same school, you come from yeah. virtually the same place. You couldn't make it up, really. Yeah, Cormac's um, family and my family, we've known each, we've been, you know, through many generations from, from the week, um, same week part of the country. Um, Cormac and I went to school together. Um, and he works for a really innovative company called Block Blinds, literally, as it's, uh, the name suggests, make window blinds. Um, doing very well in that industry, but I, uh, like ourselves, their, their industry was, was hard hit and people weren't buying blinds when, you know, whenever they weren't at work. Um, so they, in the first two weeks of lockdown, get into using their handcraft skills to be making um, face visors for the NHS. Um, at, a, at a reasonably impressive scale for, 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 for using their craft skills. But whenever we were faced with our problem, um, and I was aware of what Cormac and Block Blinds were doing, we came in contact. And very quickly into the conversation, I realized that although we had never processed the kind of plastic that they were using to make face visors, quickly realized that we could use our high-speed packaging equipment to process that. So going from um, producing tens of thousands a week, which Cormac and his team were doing, which is incredibly um, impressive. Within the space of about three weeks, we got ourselves into a position where we, were, we had the capability to produce over three million visors a week. Um, and we're now at the stage where we are producing over four million visors a week. Um, we have won major contracts with NHS Northern Ireland initially. Uh, and we now have a major contract in, in place to supply NHS England. And as it stands, Right now, we are the single biggest supplier of face visors into the NHS UK. Um, and, and that's really coming from a, a standing start, really, literally a standing start in the sort of second, third week of March. That's fantastic, actually, isn't it? Uh, and Gareth, now, um, who would have thought that at this stage in the year, we were putting nearly as much alcohol on our hands uh, as we might normally have been, had the sun been shining, sitting outside, sipping that. Tell us how you turned Copeland Gin round. Yeah, of course. I mean, I suppose we, for the past two years, we've been working since we started out of a uh, 900 square foot um, business park in, in Sainfield. It's pretty um, cold, quiet. You can probably imagine what it looked like. Um, so we, in, in early, early two thousand, um, early two thousand eighteen. Sorry, we decided we we're going to invest in a larger premises, and that took about nine months to get. So um, we've really only been in our current home in Donaghadee here for probably thirteen months now. Um, now we're on month four of the pandemic, I believe. Um, 
And uh, we, we had a lot planned. We had a lot riding on. Um, we have a fairly large mortgage, as you can probably imagine. Um, we have a lot riding on this year in terms of new markets, new developments, new investment that we were planning on doing. Um, and this had this the summer had to kick off. A lot like people's drinking habits. Generally, January, February is always quieter. People go back to the gym. People have a lot of um, alcohol, wine, beer, spirits left over from Christmas that they get given. So January, February is always quiet. March is kind of, you know, it's go time again. Um, and then, of course, the, the coronavirus hit. Um, I think from memory, the bar shut about the 23rd of March. But not only in Northern Ireland did the bar shut, the off-sales were also ordered to shut as well. Now, when the bar shut, that probably accounted for roughly 60% of our business. Um, that 60% was just slashed completely. Um, about 30% of that accounts for off-sales and multinationals and Tesco and places like that. They shut, um, they shut their, I suppose, their, their requirement um, based on our suppliers being shut as well. You know, we can't, get, we can't sell gin if we can't get bottles. The whole supply chain shut down. So, you know, we, we probably lost overnight probably 95% of our business. Um, we thankfully have a few contracts. We have a bit of stock here as well that we were still fulfilling, but there was a lot of export going out. Um, but we kind of, we had to reevaluate. I remember sitting in the office where we are now and about five, it was about five o'clock on a Friday afternoon when the bars were told they needed to shut in three hours. And I said to my staff, and I, thankfully I don't have 1,500 like here and I have uh, six. And I said to every one of them, I said, look guys, um, I'm not really too sure where we're going to be next week. This is what we have. Uh, we, I have a fairly open policy here. Um, I said, this is where the business is at. This is where we can survive to. Um, I'm not too sure what next week is going to bring. Um, furlough wasn't really mentioned at this stage. Um, but like, we'll, we'll write it out what it is um, and we'll see. Everyone take off Monday and I'll, I'll chat to you on Monday uh, or I'll chat to you on Tuesday. So fairly quickly on the Monday, I pulled everyone back in as they were all delighted. Um, and within, uh, I suppose, a couple of hours, we had decided we're going to transfer to the, um, the, the PP, but like block lines and, uh, and um, O'Neill's and, and, and business at Hutamaki, places like this. So we decided we we're going to do what we have already readily supply um, of, which is alcohol, uh, as you can imagine. Um, what we have a good supply chain of in terms of labels and bottling, our, our, our in-house bottling line and labeling line. And we just flipped it. Uh, within five days, we had a product um, that we didn't have the week before, um, which was a hand sanitizer. Um, it was in a different... Um, container to which it is now um, we were looking at everything um, if you've ever been or if you ever worked in a commercial kitchen you'll probably see submersion bags that people would put um, meat in and then they would slow cook in a bag of water we were effectively putting hand sanitizer in those bags and closing them the same way and um, with a guillotine type heater and we were closing those and selling those um, and that just started the whole. That started the whole transformation, I suppose, of um, distillery in terms of spirits and gin to hand sanitizer. Um, very quickly, we we chatted as well to the NHS. They came to us um, after Invest and I actually helped out um, in terms of the the hand sanitizer. We got a fairly substantial contract with the NHS um, that covered us for two or three two or three weeks of supply. Um, and we brought in more staff. A lot of the guys who we brought in were furloughed. Um, they didn't really know where they were going to do. So we brought in furloughed staff. Um, the, the guys we brought in were, were within the same group of us. So my partner came in. Um, the guys who worked for me, their partners came in and helped out. So they, 
because we, we, we didn't want to bring in people, new people, uh, and put them at risk and then put the business at risk, which I know we've all been worried about as well, um, especially when you bring in, start bringing in uh, people back to the office. But we were doing that right in the middle of this. Um, to date, from the hand sanitizer started about 15 weeks ago, to date we've supplied probably just shy of 140,000 liters of hand sanitizer. <laughs> um, it's a phenomenal amount. Um, if you could fill a football field with IBCs, which is a thousand liter containers, uh, you could fill it and you'd have room on top as well. It's a, it's a phenom- phenomenal amount. Um, but thankfully, within, within five days, we were able to get, get a design, get a supply chain, um, and get the product out there. So it's been challenging. It's been eye-opening. Um, same as Karen, probably it's been very stressful. Um, it's definitely aged me. Um, but I have a very good team behind me at the same time. Um, and, I'm, and I'm thankful that they all didn't shy away because um, there would have been, been a lot of people um, not sure where they stood in terms of their business. And I had a fantastic team behind me. And we've been, we've been doing that ever since. It's an amazing story. They're both amazing stories, actually. And I mean, Crystal, you specialize in innovation management and, and strategy. And I'm sure you've seen lots of turnarounds in your time. But um, what we've been hearing from, from Karen and from Gareth and what we've been seeing going on here over the last few months has been quite remarkable, really, hasn't it? Yeah, I think it's, you know, it has been really impressive. The quick responses that lots of companies have made to their business models has really been incredible. And I think we can learn a lot from these organizations and really core to rapidly responding to a crisis is having that strategic agility. And, you know, we heard there both from Kieran and Garth that very early on, they really identified what was their strengths and what was their core capabilities and realized that those strengths and capabilities aren't necessarily industry bound or sector bound and that they can actually adapt them to various different market needs. And the core way that they done that was really looking and scanning their environment for those supply chains and um, opportunities so really those market needs that everyone really needed and they were able to really sense and seize and match those strengths and capabilities and um, to make those opportunities and I think you know a lot of companies have been able to do that really really quickly and it's quite inspiring um, in how people were able to overcome those initial I suppose those initial few um, weeks of, of fear of their businesses and being able to transform their business models. I mean, that agility that you were talking about there, Crystal, and that we've heard about from both Karen and Gareth, that has been crucial in this, hasn't it? Because, you know, at the beginning, there was just a sort of blind panic uh, around everyone. I mean, it was nice to hear that neither of you seemed to actually be panicking, but but um, there, there was certainly the, uh, the potential for it at that stage and being agile enough to spot an opportunity and kind of literally pull it out of the air uh, is quite a tribute to companies here, Crystal. Completely. Agility, you know, in a time like this is is very, very difficult. And, you know, we heard from both the companies there that really, you know, it was their networks. So a lot of, you know, their networks were able to help them with knowledge. So identifying opportunities that were there from scanning the environment through their networks helped them with that agility. So looking out, you know, outwards, looking for knowledge outwards, that's really close to you. Um, whether it's your family, your friends, your peers, you know, your customers, your suppliers, even your competitors, um, everyone really is pulling together to try to 
come up with new ideas quite rapidly and we can do it whenever we have this pool of knowledge that everyone's really willing to share. I see both uh, Gareth and, and Karen nodding at that. Uh, what skills, Karen, would you say have come to the fore to aid this whole transformation and get you to where you are now? I think it's mostly um, not not just for me personally, but for the team. They sort of um, accepting the challenge and um, the fearlessness to be able to take on something new and. Probably, if we're honest, that was kind of forced upon us. Um, you know, maybe we were complacent before. Not that you know we were doing well. The business has been grown strength to strength the last few years. You know, we're continuing to add products and different, continuing to grow with our customers. But we haven't really been challenging ourselves to look at outside of you know our core traditional industry. So that that's we were sort of pushed into a position where we needed to to do something else. So that that. that ability and hunger to say right we're not just gonna we're not going to take it we're not just going to um, sit down and close the factory and and, and and you know pretend to be busy for the next few months hoping that we continue to keep our jobs so um, the, you know the team really did stand up um, I'm talking about skills as well I mean it has really challenged us as uh, how we go about our day-to-day work we were all used to you know jumping on airplanes we're all used to sitting around boardroom tables we're all used to saying right what's the agenda, what do we need to do the next time? But whenever we were in a situation like that, it was, well, hang on a second, there is no next time. This is, you know, we need to make decisions like literally right now. The product has to be with the customer like next Wednesday. Normally, business processes like that take weeks and months to plan and to legislate against and, you know, produce new work and practice and all that kind of stuff, which is traditional in business. But whenever we put in a situation like that, it it teaches us and forces us to be agile. And we, we learned the different skills around, you know, jumping in and out of different meetings many different times a day, having working sessions. So it's not just a traditional meeting where you you discuss what the plan's going to be. What you then what you find in a situation like this is that the meeting is the working setting as well. So it's right, okay, what do we need to do today? Right, let's do it. Let's do it right now. Let's can I see what you're working on at your screen? Let's cut over to the design table and see what those guys are doing. Everybody's talking. Everybody's in interacting the other thing that we found as well during that period was you know the traditional nine to five really absolutely went out the window as well you know we were working you know design teams across the globe we were you know tapping into different legal teams across the globe and we were you know all, everybody worked working exceptionally hard and that kind of work spirit and work ethic enabled that um, so and have was, you been to, to what extent have you been able, Karen, to protect? When I mean, we heard Gareth saying that that he was getting extra people in uh, to to help out, I mean, to what extent have you been able to protect jobs as a result of this? We we have grown our staff. So over the period, um, right now we are employing more staff than we did before lockdown. So we we went from uh, employing um, fifteen hundred um, core staff. Vast, a big percentage, 70 odd, 75% maybe of those staff have been furloughed at a period. Uh, and we're now um, beyond where our employment level was before we started. So not only we have protected jobs, we've actually um, generated employment and that, you know, it comes out in a little bit about what the future holds for us. But, you know, that, you know we have secured future employment and, and employment growth over the period. 
And Gareth, I could see you nodding at various stages when when Karen was talking there, um, both about the the kind of skills that had come to the fore to to help this along, about the way that people are working, and you were nodding particularly strongly when he said that the nine to five thing had gone out the window. Um, how has this all taken over your life? I don't know if you can tell by looking at me, the nine to five certainly has gone out the window. Um, I mean, Kieran was chatting there about, um, you know, that we usually take weeks or months, sorry, to do NPD. Whereas we, we were, you know, we would usually spend months, you know, if not half a year testing a product. We, we launched a product right in the middle of this, which we had started in September last year. Um, you know, a new gin, or we launched it. Um, on, on the back of wanting to do business as usual. But we'd spent months and months and months testing that product. Um, you know, the nine to five completely went out the window. We, you know, we were seeing a need. We were seeing an immediate need and not one of my staff said, oh, well, it's, you know, it's six o'clock or seven o'clock on a Friday. Uh, I mean, every single, whenever Clap for the Cars was on, um, every Thursday night at eight o'clock, we were still out the front doing it because we were, we were, we, we had to work kind of, nine to nine, nine to 10. Um, you know, we would usually every week, every Monday have a team meeting and every Friday have a team meeting with a plan for the week. Um, that turned into every day, uh, you know, every morning in the office, uh, which the question was, what's the plan today? Which I would generally reply to, I don't know yet, give me to lunchtime. Because the supply chain wasn't there. The supply chain didn't know either. Um, the biggest problem we had was, Source, well, which I've spent the past 12 weeks doing was sourcing raw materials from everywhere you can think of. The, 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 the businesses that we've supplied, they're in every single sector from massive utility companies um, to the NHS to, to small um, corner shops. Um, we supplied, I think we did a count um, of 32 sectors um, and well over, um, well over 400 and something commercial orders went out. So, you know, it was huge, but we all, we all pulled through. Um, we, we were starting to do things within days that, you know, generally would have taken weeks, like here inside there, like tenders. Um, you know, I, we, we put a tender in for the NHS, you know, on the Monday, and I believe by the Thursday it was awarded. That, that never happens. Um, but no, you know, we all pulled through. We all learned. Um, you know, there was a lot of learning. I came, my, my, old, my old job was working in sales in a startup company. So I'd always learned to be quite lean and things would always change dramatically. Uh, and that's never been more prevalent than right now. Um, but it's definitely, it, it's not only changed me, I suppose, in terms of how I manage the guys, but probably in terms of how the guys manage themselves. Um, there's been a lot of people who have, you know, taken it on, taken more, um, I suppose more management on that whenever they don't need to, but it's not because that they want the <laughs> they want the new job or an increase in salary. It's because they had to because we had to step up, and uh, it's been it's been great. And you know, it really shows you that you know the, the people that you've you've hired are are behind you, uh, and I'm sure Karen thinks the same. So it's interesting, isn't it? You know, that whole business right from the start um, that we're all in this together does seem to have 
percolated through everything that you've been talking about. I wonder too, Crystal, I mean, the, the ability for both uh, Copeland and Hutamaki and many other businesses to create that window of opportunity for their companies to ultimately save their business has relied on a very quick and innovative response. How can organisations foster that kind of innovation and creative thinking when it's, when it's not an absolute necessity. I mean, this was really innovating to survive, wasn't it? Yeah, I suppose, yeah, it's a very, you know, it's, it's a very unheard of time where companies, as we heard, have been forced to do it, whereas it's something that companies should always be thinking of doing. And when it comes to innovation and creative thinking, there is always that mental block that a lot of individuals have, which they first have to overcome. I think COVID-19 forced a lot of people to jump over that hurdle very quickly. But um, normally, a lot of people have those mental blocks where they might think, we're not creative or they might think that innovation involves this mammoth task and a lot of expense whereas in reality innovation really is about doing things differently and often can be done with your existing resources and capabilities that you have already and it is just about again being aware of what you are strong at and then really taking that opportunity to think of where there is perhaps weaknesses within your current business model perhaps you know where there is opportunities that are out there that you have those strengths in internally already that you can take advantage of and I think you know a core thing also to bear in mind you know we're hearing some really great stories um, but you know there's been lots of other stories as well where innovation and creative thinking you know I believe shouldn't be a solitary process it it really thrives on people coming together and various different diverse perspectives coming together and the power of networks to enable innovation and creativity, the power of empowering your employees um, is really core as well. And getting everyone into that mindset of thinking about how can we do things better um, and almost thinking, you know, rather than thinking how can we innovate or how can we be creative, how can we improve things, how can we do things better? And by its very nature, that will lead to new innovations, new ways of being creative. And what sort of support is the business school currently offering to help companies cope with those challenges and with their plans for recovery? Well, the business school really, really wants to be there for businesses. We've always had a very good relationship and, you know, often tried to be on the ground with businesses responding to their needs. And back in March, we very quickly put together a business support group, really aimed at following and identifying companies' needs right now and ways that we can support them at this very moment in time. And we then very quickly put up a COVID-19 webpage. We developed a range of supports. So some of the supports that we have, for instance, is we have one-on-one business support sessions where we've been working over the last couple of months with different businesses, whether it is, you know, informal chats about worries, whether it's having academic experts um, trans help identify various different challenges the companies have and identify tools and techniques that might help transform their business. 
We also have been running things such as webinars. So we've had our economic policy center trying to decipher what does all the information mean for businesses on the ground. We've partnered up with Marvel Marketers where we now have a series of webinars that are um, free and open for companies to join in about business transformation. And also more recently, we're also offering free courses that are funded by the Department of Economy on different um, topics such as um, business analysis and consultancy and um, professional development whereby companies and individuals who are impacted by COVID-19 can really come along to those courses, upskill and retrain. Um, we've got something for everyone and, you know, we really want everyone really to, you know, to reach out to us and get in contact. And if there's any way we can support you, we really will. Well, that sounds good. Uh, Gareth and, and Kieran. I mean, things are starting to get back to a bit of a new sense of normality and there's a lot of talk about this new normal whatever it's going to be like I mean for both of you I assume that that means that the companies with with whom you were previously doing business are now back at work to a degree and your old markets are back so what will all of that mean Karen? maybe first and for your business in terms of how you're going to be operating uh, in the future in this hopefully post-COVID-19 landscape yeah, things have changed for us um, coming out of this, and, and I think we'll ch change permanently. Um, not not only we have new products to offer, so you know I've talked to you already about face shields. Um, also, in the last few weeks, we've also developed a brand new product called Huta Mask, which is um, a face mask, a general face mask for for the general public. So, whereas face shields is aimed predominantly at the healthcare sector, you know, for the mass market, we've produced a really high quality technical face mask. Uh, and that's all about protecting people. So not only are we, we targeting to put that into retail, if you think about all of our big customers, protecting their staff. So, you know, we are already talking about not just uh, continuing to supply food and drink packaging, we're also talking to our customers now on day and daily about how can we protect their staff, how can we protect their customers, and how can we enable them to get back to, to work and life in a really pr productive way. Um, so so that, that it is a whole new landscape for us completely and a whole new business model. And as regards the way that, that you work and that you have been working, you're never going to go back to the way it was before, are you, where it's going to take months to come up with something. You got used to this business of you know, doing everything, being at work and getting off of it. Yeah, r rapid development cycles and, and agility is definitely here. You know, if I, I keep saying to myself, you know, it just takes some time to write down exactly all the processes and define those and structure those so we can repeat those. So, you know, there definitely will be a lot of learnings um, from us in terms of how we did it. But look, we're still doing it. We're still, you know, I honestly don't think that um, we have, you know, the, the, the increase in speed of change. I think we're still in the middle of that. You know, the new normal, people are adapting to a new way of life. Society is different. Industry is different. And I think that, as suppliers into that new normal, we are still, there's still as many opportunities now at this stage and in the next few weeks and months as there would have been in the last um, weeks and months. So all of those lessons that we've learned about speed to market and breaking down old processes, um, I, I think those changes are there and we are already in a process of learning from them. Gareth, what about you? Uh, this new normal, how is that going to look for for Copeland? Are we still going to be putting alcohol on our hands as as well as into a glass? 
Yeah, I, th- I think so. I mean, from, from our point of view, because of our size and um, because we're a fairly young business in, in the grand scheme of things, um, we have a lot of we, we have a lot of new capital equipment arriving, which was booked and paid for last September. That's arriving in a matter of weeks now, and um, that'll allow our normal business um, to, um, to for the focus to mainly go back on that. Um, I think you know we're currently chatting to our customers and, and, and seeing how they're getting on. I mean, they've only just started. They've only just opened back up bars and restaurants. A lot of our contracts that we had that were then just cut um, are now starting to, you know, that conversation starting back again. A lot of the export side of things, it's all, it's all very young still. Um, we're all still having, um, you know, we're, we're tittering around, um, you know, whether those contracts are going to come through and when they're going to come through. Uh, we're not exactly pushing our customers to to go back to the new normal, which you know, um, from from my point of view, um, and as a young business with a with a cash flow, um, large cash flow requirement, you know, we're then pushing it back on our main suppliers to see, you know, if they can help. But we're all we're all in the same boat. Um, you know, if we're not buy if we're not selling bottles of gin, um, then we're not buying bottles of gin, or we're not buying glass bottles. And thankfully, all our suppliers know that. So. I think you know, hand sanitizer. Hand sanitizer definitely will be around. Um, it definitely will be a, a large requirement. Um, hopefully, uh, it doesn't require, uh, and we can we can get back to drinking more than than rubbing more. Um, but definitely, I mean, we we've we, we've flipped, um, and you know, we're for my my team anyway. They're they're my head distiller. He's obsessed with whiskey and and, and gin, which is good. Um, so obviously telling him to produce hand sanitizer hasn't been <laughs> hasn't been the easiest, but I know he's looking forward to getting back to the new, the new normal, whatever that might be. But we have a lot of plans coming up. Um, we're um, early early next year, late this year, we're we're going for um, a large investment round, um, and we're really looking forward to to getting that ready. Um, and that hasn't put us off anyway. Um, if anything, if anything, it's put into perspective. Um, the fact that we are in this for the long term, um, and you know, if if it was a short term win, um, it would definitely be getting rid of everything we've just bought and put in hand sanitizing units. Um, but no, we're we're looking forward to what's what the new normal will look like. Well, certainly uh, by the looks of things, uh, there will be a fair bit of uh, business model innovation going on uh, in, the, in the next few months and uh, very much one of your areas of expertise there, Crystal, too. But for, for lots of companies, the, the immediate firefighting perhaps is over and they're now beginning to plan for the long term, looking at what's going to come next, how they're going to integrate what they have been doing in the last few months with what, uh, what maybe they had intended to do and where they're going from here on. From, from each of you, I wonder, um, what advice would you offer just very briefly to organizations that are looking for new opportunities and that need support in their recovery efforts? Kieran, what about you? A uh, couple of things, Wendy, and it's been uh, one of them. The first of them has been mentioned a few times, actually, and it's so, so true. You know, the power of networks. You know, one of the, one of the big, big strengths we have here in Northern Ireland is you don't really have to reach out too far to get really, really good help and advice and support. You know, Gareth, you know, super example himself, he's talked about um, Kieran Kennedy and O'Neill's. You can see what Block Blinds are doing, what we've been doing in Hudamaki, and there's many other examples. But, you know, I think all of those examples and all of those companies that have done that is a really good 
example to other companies that, you know, we can stretch ourselves when we go into new opportunities. You know, there was a crisis here. The, the health service and the healthcare sector were in crisis and they put their hand up and they said they needed help. Now, traditionally, we always look over our shoulder and wait for, you know, China or Taiwan or the States to come in with solutions. But if you look around about what the industry here in Northern Ireland has done, you know, industry has put their hand up and have done it. I mean, you go into, you know, block lines operating out of a leisure centre here in Maherfelt and there's three or 400 kids, like, operating at a super level of efficiency, at a super level of accuracy. You know, those kind of solutions and um, are here to be done within our own economy and we don't always have to be looking to far off fields for solutions so closer to home is best perhaps gareth well what about you if you were giving a bit of advice to uh, organizations that are looking for new opportunities and for for a direction at the moment yeah i mean what i what i would kind of suggest is you know look at what you're currently good at um, and see how you can improve it i mean we we looked at what we could do in-house um, from our technical point of view, um, there's a lot of pressure put on Will, our head distiller, to look out, work, work out how to make a hand gel. Um, but we, but we then started asking the questions. We asked our, like, like here inside there, we asked people who knew more than us. We asked our competitors. Um, I mean, at one stage, I was calling Pritchett's, who are the dairy producer in Newtonards, um, whether we can borrow some hydrogen peroxide that they use. Um, to clean their pipes with because we wanted to make hand sanitizer from it. So, But we were asking those questions that we didn't really know much about, whether it was able to be done. And I think, you know, it is it is that, you know, Northern Ireland is such a small place, you know, people will help you out. Um, but look at what you're good at and try to improve it and see where, see what, um, see what ways you can kind of work off the back of that. Um, I mean, we, we changed, we slightly changed our bottling line um, to from hand from hand filling um, hand sanitizer bottles to putting it through our bottling line. It only shaved off probably five seconds um, per case. But, you know, we, we didn't realize back then that, um, you know, we were going to end up doing 30,000 cases. So um, I think, you know, take risks um, and ask stupid questions. Uh, but there's definitely, there's definitely opportunities out there. Um, and, you know, there's, there's no one who knows more uh, than, than your competitors, and they're happy to help these days. Very interesting, isn't it, Crystal? Uh, and it's not all just to kind of take risk, ask stupid questions, ask your competitors. It's a whole pull together of, of all of those different things that's made the difference here, isn't it? Yeah, completely. You know, I would echo with what both Kieran and Gareth have said. And I suppose for me, um, thinking about companies moving forward, is really thinking about more openness and more collaboration as being really key. There's so many opportunities that can come from collaborating with others. And I think very early in lockdown, we've seen that from a lot of small businesses coming together with new collaborative delivery models. And we're also seeing now that you know the ways that we're solving global challenges is by companies pulling together and collaborating. So I think moving forward, a lot of companies you know really should look beyond their own boundaries of their own business models and think about how they can engage with different individuals that they never maybe would have thought of engaging with before whether it is you know their competitors their suppliers universities you know really the the list is endless and the opportunities are endless as well and how we can all co-create new value together and really come out of all of this a lot stronger 
However, in saying that, I know that, you know, there's a lot of support that's out there for our businesses. So I would really urge businesses really to leverage that support. But I also acknowledge that it's it's very confusing. There's so much going on. It's changing on a daily basis. Um, it can be quite overwhelming. So um, I suppose moving forward, if there's ever any businesses that are, you know, feeling that they're overwhelmed, they don't really know where to begin, is definitely reach out to the business school. You know, we're all very, very open to speaking to anyone about anything. You know, we're very engaging, um, whether you reach out to an individual member of staff or whether you reach out to or engage at ulster.ic.uk email address. Um, you know, definitely just get in contact and if there's ever any ways that we can help you, we, we definitely will. Crystal, thanks very much indeed. Thanks uh, to Gareth and to Karen as well for joining me for Innovate to Survive. And thank you very much for watching and listening. I'm Wendy Austin. This has been a Business of Possibilities podcast from Ulster University Business School. Make sure you subscribe to the series wherever you get your podcasts and keep an eye on Ulster University Business School's social media channels for updates each week. Thanks for watching. <laughs>